Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 111th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that never shies away from a brawl. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed products, shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. All right, good afternoon, James. How you doing? Very good, Travis. Very good. How are you? Just lovely. Waiting for winter to be over. It's been like two weeks of just sitting at freezing temperatures, and it's it's annoying, I gotta tell you. Yeah, in Toronto and Buffalo, it's so gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Infinite grayness. We're not even getting like that one or two days where the weather kind of breaks and it's like 45 or 50, you know, where it's nice, a little nice out and you can wear your spring jacket. It's just been sitting at 30 degrees for... 12 days it's stunningly beautiful in toronto today though i think i can see your house out my window actually over the lake <laughs> you might be able to it is a little nicer here too for the first time so and by nicer i mean it's 34 instead of 30 <laughs> <laughs> all right um our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection track your specs and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby other than weather banter what's on the agenda this week uh, well, this week we've got a show in four segments. Segment one, uh, I complain about the weather. Segment one A, our top movers, where we'll look at the cards that have seen the most movement in the past week. Segment two is our cards to watch. We'll look at what cards James and I think have a strong future. Segment three, our metagame week in review. This week we'll be chatting about GP Phoenix, a modern Grand Prix from last weekend. And segment four, our topic of the week is Brawl, the new format introduced by Wizards. Is it tiny leaders? We will find out. Uh, so let's start off this week with uh, Galvanic Blast out of Scars Mirrodin. Foils from about 20 to 40. Um, you've got Modern written down here. That's probably a pretty good guess. Uh, it's a popular card in um, Affinity. Uh, the Metalcraft is very easy to turn on there, and it gives them a 4-mana instant speed lightning bolt, which is pretty powerful. Also legal in Pauper, so I don't really look at the Pauper list, but I would imagine it's uh, reasonably useful in Affinity Pauper as well. Um, and But I don't think normal burn lists use it. It's usually just Affinity. But either way, uh, I don't think we've seen a foil reprint on this card basically since it was introduced, right? Let me take a look. Yeah, Scars of Mirrodin is the only printing, so pretty heavily played common with only one printing. Not surprising to see the price getting up there. I don't think $40 is going to hang around, but, you know, $25, $30 possibly. Uh, but a reprint will crush this. Yeah. Um, I mean, original foils can hang in there, um, but it's a lot tougher when they're commons. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there's just so many added to the market, and most people don't really care that much. So uh, I would only own these if I really desperately wanted to play with them. There does seem to be some indication that we're headed back to Phyrexia. Uh, in the trailer for Dominaria, uh, and in I think the bio card for Karn that they released online this week, um, it talks about Karn needing to like readdress his destiny versus the Phyrexians or something. Um, so maybe when they're done with Bolas, that's the next big bad they're setting up. Yeah, yeah, he, they certainly reference uh, 
new Phyrexia in that trailer. So, you know, we're getting, I'm, uh, did they confirm Return to Ravnica for later this year? No, not that I know okay. of. Okay, the, the smart money's on us going back to Ravnica. I don't remember if there's yep. a specific, if Wizards confirmed it or if there was just very obvious references. Uh, but then we might head back to, yeah, New Phyrexia again. I thought the trailer made it sound like Karn thought he might have had a, uh, a way to resolve it, like a way to cure the, the Phyrexian plague type of thing. And maybe he's going to go over there and try and fix Mirrodin. Maybe we'll actually get Mirrodin pure. That would be kind of cool, actually, now that I think about it. If all this time later he goes back and then we get an actual Mirrodin pure set, which, for those of you that weren't around, uh, back during Mirrodin Besiege, Wizards ran a survey during Mirrodin Besiege and said, hey, should our next set be Mirrodin pure or New Phyrexia? You guys are going to choose who wins the war. Uh, Anyone who news knows anything about printing runs and that type of thing knows that that had already been decided because there's no way Wizards was going to ask everyone two months before a set is supposed to come out what it's supposed to be called. But it was a cool concept and everyone thought Mirrored and Pure. I, I like the idea of Mirrored and Pure. So it would be co- a cool throwback like a decade later to finally get that set. Well, the thing to keep in mind is that in the new universe of ADHD magic, we are um, bouncing all over the place. They, we're not doing two set blocks anymore. Everything is a single set block um, with a core set in the summer. So that means you get like basically three different lo- locales um, during most of the year. And then in the summer, you get your core set. So we could easily go to Ravnica in the fall and then next winter end up in Phyrexia. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mirrodin, but it's Phyrexian. So I haven't looked at this in a while and it's been changed enough that I, I I feel like I don't even remember. Is that how it works now that every set can be standalone and sometimes there will be two sets from the same plane and sometimes there won't and it's just whatever they feel like? I, I think they've basically stated they're leaving it open-ended for their own flexibility. Um, what they don't want to be trapped in is if a block is going poorly <laughs> that they know that they've still got another another set that is you know, as often as not disappointing, right? It's very un- unusual or has been rare in the modern era that the second set in a block is the exciting one. Usually you get most of the hype out of the first version and then they give us some kind of like throw like afterthought mechanics in the next one. And there's there hasn't really been a really good case where it's ratcheted up and you've been like, wow, way to expand on that and like finish the thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It just made sense for them to, A, from a narrative perspective, keep things flowing, you know, keep things moving around. Um, Because, you know, most of us digest like five or six different pieces of media a day, let alone to be pondering a single plane for four to six months. Uh, But but, so so they've said that they will every set they can run whatever they want. Like there's no there's no algorithm for this anymore. It's not like, okay two sets per block well, we know- now it's maybe this one will be one set maybe the next one will be two sets we can do whatever we want correct we may get two sets on, on a plane but i think so like in the foreseeable future it's probably all yeah, ones because we know we know that core is standalone in the summer we know dominaria doesn't have a follow-up and the falls if the fall set block doesn't have a follow-up in january then the pattern has been set. right right i mean i'm not i guess i'm not worried about like what they might or might not do i'm just curious about like the rules that they have defined for us at this point, but okay, I got you. I got yeah. you. As far, as far as I know, it's one, it's one plain, no theme. Per block Everything now. is totally standalone. Okay. 
Okay. I, that's what, that sounds yeah. familiar. It just it hasn't come up in a while, and I had forgotten where they landed with it because they changed it like and, and that's, three times in three years, right, or something like that. <laughs> well, they're struggling, yeah. um, as we'll see in our final topic this okay. week. Okay. The um, so I mean I think the thing to keep in mind though is that it doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be overlap or complementary mechanics or themes on these planes. I think you're going to see a lot of that because it still makes sense to you want your standard and now brawl. Um, decks to have a lot of synergy between the sets so it behooves them to make sure that that's still in place whether or not you know the core theme and plane happen to be switching right uh okay well why don't you give us our next card sure so next on the list we have scavenger grounds from hour of devastation foils moving from four to closing in on 10 that's about 100 percent gain for people that were smart enough to realize that um, a couple of the colorless lands from uh, the Amonkhet block. Um, we're going to make it in modern. Um, that's definitely on the back of modern demand. Okay. Um, and then I see another Urza's power, uh, Urza's power plant this week from Antiquities. Uh, I think we, we talked about this like a week or two ago. One of the other ones was are always bouncing around. Um, the, the Urza's lands, if you don't, if you want the original Antiquities ones, if you don't have them yet, get yeah, them. You didn't already buy them. What are you <laughs> they, waiting for? For ages, their commonality was holding them back and the fact that they were reprinted in Chronicles and there was a bajillion of those around and they've seen many, many reprints. But it's, we're getting to the point now where that the 93-94 targeting is persistent. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I have a bunch of those from the collection I got from my cousin last year that I originally valued at like 8 to 10, which, you know, are happily sitting there appreciating. And if you local store still has these priced anywhere under $15, just grab them and hold on to them. You'll be happy yeah, later. They're, they're, uh, they're not reprinting those, right? Like they're going to reprint, they could reprint the land several times over, but they're not reprinting the, like, you know, the legends ones with the black border and that art. Those are, there is what there is for those. Although I suppose if they get banned in modern, the demand for those drops yeah, considerably. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely about modern. Like the if it was ever if Urzatron was ever shut down in modern for some reason, um, but I don't think it ever will be. Um, the you know as good as Urza uh, Tron decks are right now, um, Tron has so many checks and balances built into that format. I mean, and they've added more, right? Like the whole thing with um, uh, Field of Ruin and blood moon and blood sun is there's one of like at least a dozen different ways to address that deck if you want to if you have to but the meta is diverse and so um you know none of the none of the current decks seem likely to overtake the format right yeah yeah i i you know sam black wrote an article this week and he kind of made a pitch like it's it's even though it's not dominating, it's still not healthy for what it does. But yeah, whatever. I mean, we could talk about it till we're blue in the face. Either they're going to ban it or they're not, and nothing we say is going to change that. People were saying the same thing about Mox Opal coming out of Eldrazi Winter, and that affinity was too good, and and that once it sh- started showing up in Lantern Control, people were like, "See, see, it's like everywhere you use it, it's broken." But I mean, <laughs> that looks r- rock solid now too. And people seem to agree, given that they've been investing in $300 Mox Opals. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you got next for us? So Golgari Brown Scale from Ravnica Foils moving from three to six. This is the kind of thing that's impossible to make money on. And I suspect that that's just on low supply from a relatively old set. We also have Island Fish Jasconius from Arabian Nights, original printing. 
uh, $8 to 18 That is not a reserve list card, I don't believe. Um, and again, this is just targeting from all of the first few sets in those years. Ditto with Oasis copies of Arabian Nights from $5 to $11. Um, Inferno Titan's a pretty real card. Magic 2012 foils moving from 7 to 16 on the back of Ponza being particularly well positioned in a format where Tron is doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, then we have uh, Island Fish, just Island Fish, Disconian. Oh no, no, already already covered oh, that. Oh, sorry, my friends uh, are messaging me and distracted me. <laughs> oh yeah, because you said Inferno Titan, um, Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger from Battle for Zendikar foils uh, from forty to close to a hundred. Um, this so Ulamog is a very popular card in EDH right now. Uh, Exiling to or no no Ceaseless Hunger is no that's that is the one that wait now I'm getting then confused. Holy crap. Ceaseless. Two, two things exiles. Two, two things exiles. Oh, and then he does not both. He exiles, and then when he attacks, they exile 20. That's what it was. I was like, wait, those yeah. are on the same card. Okay. Having trouble getting my head in the game today. Yes. So, really good in EDH because you get to hit two of the most problematic permanents and then start eating people's libraries, which one attack doesn't matter. Two could. Three starts to get to be a big deal. Um, and he's indestructible, so he's pretty obnoxious. Uh, also got really popular because Animar... Uh, got some time in the spotlight this week, and Ulamog turns into a free spell with a with a high powered Animar. Um, hundred dollar foils for Ulamog to ceaseless hunger hunger sounds pretty high, but like seventy five to eighty doesn't seem like an unrealistic point for this to land. Reality is that Eldrazi, big Eldrazi foils have always gotten there. Like the first few from the first Zendikar got there. And even after being reprinted in Modern Masters 2015, have been gaining again and recovering. And and that's with the MM15 foils being relatively bad straight out of the pack, and gener- generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, no matter how many times they've printed Emrakul, he's held a solid price. I mean, these are the big bads of magic, the biggest, nastiest things you can cast. Um, and Ulamog sees modern play too. It's not just about EDH. Um, he shows up in multiple versions of the Tron deck, sometimes as uh, a two of and there's enough of that stuff running around that wants to cast it um that there are relatively few foils i bought up foils and non-foils like 10 days ago because supply was just dwindling it was on my tipping point list okay what do you got next for us so next on the list we've got uh heap doll out of Shadowmoor. foils moving from two dollars to five dollars this is a one mana colorless creature that can remove a, a card from the graveyard um, and apparently it's run as a one of or two of in Martyr Proc in Modern. Um, <laughs> I mean, Shadowmoor was a long time ago, so it probably didn't take much to buy these up. Um, not the kind of thing I would generally be going running after. Martyr Proc isn't, you know, is on the fringes of Modern. <laughs> uh, so moving right along. Brass Herald out of 8th edition foils from 350 to $9. That's an EDH card. Um, it's been a while since we saw foils of it. Ditto with Trailblazer's Boots from Zendikar, foils from 3 to 10. That's like a 260% gain. Sees mild play in EDH. Um, hard to imagine where else the demand would be coming from. Yeah, that is the best I can come up with. Uh, sulfur Elemental foils out of Planar Chaos. Um, looks like 8 to 30. Uh, sulfur Elemental is a really weird card. This is a red instant that when it comes into play, white creatures get minus one, minus one. That was a wild set, Planar Chaos. Uh, and it's got split second. 
No, white creatures get plus one, minus one. So it's useful for, I guess, like, I think against, like, death and taxes style decks, people would play this uh, at split seconds so nobody can react. It just comes down and suddenly, like, your Lingering Souls tokens, your Thalia, your Mother Runes, um, everyone just dies because they get minus one toughness. Uh, so that would that's a legacy trick. Um, did somebody start playing this in Modern recently? Like, no, I, you know, I've seen this what, around for a while. What happened here is that Mono Red Prison won the SCG Legacy Classic at Worcester, um, taking first place, and there was three copies in the sideboard. Oh, that makes sense. So it finally made it to Modern. Yeah, and I mean, it's Planar Chaos. No, 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 this, is, no, no, no this was Legacy. Oh, Legacy, Legacy. You said Legacy. Uh, yeah, so this this deck that won the Classic is pretty cool. Four Goblin Rabble Master, four Magus of the Moon, four Simeon Spirit Guide, two Hazaret in Legacy. Hmm. One PN Kira Nalar, four Chandra Def- Torch of Defiance in Legacy. Four Fiery Confluence, that card's been on the move. Um, only a single printing in Commander product. Uh, and by the way, the deck that that comes out of is still underpriced, just the same way that FTB lands is. Um, four Chalice of the Void, four Chrome Mox, four Ensnaring Bridge, two Trinosphere, four Blood Moon. <laughs> this deck is just like a huge fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um, four Ancient Tomb, four City of Traders, and eleven Mountain. That sounds uh, sounds fun. Sounds very fun. This this sideboard is crazy. So many cards from like recent sets you would not expect to see in Legacy. Two Abraid, two Sorceress Spyglass, two Kozilex Return, four Scab Clan Berserker. Do you even know what that does? Uh, I you have do to look now. It up, right? That's uh, from Origins. What? Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's it's got so Scab Clan Berserker, and I'm yeah, I bet ninety eight percent of the people listening did not know what this card does. One red red two two haste. It's got renown. Whenever an opponent casts a non creature spell, if it's renowned, it deals two damage to that player. Yes, yeah, so th- it's it's basically a. Uh, another Eidolon of the Great Reddick type of thing. Yes, similar. So Quicksmith Rebel, this is even worse. Three and a red for a 3-2 human artificer. This was out of Ether Revolt, I believe. When Quicksmith Rebel enters the battlefield, target artifact you control gains tap. This artifact deals two damage to target creature or player for as long as you control Quicksmith Rebel. (laughs) So it lets you tap your Chalice of the Void to do two damage to things. That's... uh... I wish I, I wish I, I wish they'd had this on camera. This deck is something else. Yeah, for as long as you control it, jeez, you could. What, what is this deck? It's so weird. Oh, right? It's a dra- Okay, so it's listed as a dragon stompy. I see. That is, uh, that is. I something mean, it's a else. classic. It's a classic, not an open, but still. This, <laughs> I, I would love to see the looks on the faces of people he was playing against post sideboard. I want to know Sorcerer's Spyglass. Like, why not Pithy Needle? I guess being I guess with Ancient Tomb and City of Traders, you're making two mana on turn one so often yep. that yeah, yeah. it's a little bit. It's better. an upgrade. Well, it's an upgrade without really costing you any mana because all your stuff makes two. Right. Hmm. That, that's cool. Wild. Um, yeah. so, so people are smart. Yeah. <laughs> Magic school. Yeah, that, that is cool. I'll give you that. It's cool. Uh, next up is Steel Leaf Champion from Dominaria. Uh, the set that's not out yet. Not even finished with spoilers yet. Uh, showing two and a quarter to like eight or nine bucks. Um, I guess these are for, for pre-sales of the card. It might, it might be the game day pre-sales too. It's not marked. Uh, this is the triple green 5-4 that can't be blocked by creatures with power 2 or less. So I, I apparently people think that this is kind of pushed and that it may be uh, maybe a player in standard. Nah, 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 nah. Not, not as a mythic. This, this card is super playable as long as, as long as decks with triple green make sense in the format. Um, 
I mean, it's a five, four for three, for three that can't be blocked by smaller creatures. Um, that's cool, but it's a rare. If it was a mythic, yeah, I'm on board. But rare is it nine dollars? Nah. Yeah. This this set's gonna sell well, and this thing's gonna drop to two to four dollars in week one. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Dungrove Elder. Was another sure. three mana, big fat, beefy green creature that punched people. That one had hexproof, I believe. Uh, and I mean, that was a reasonably popular card in standard. It was still like two dollars i think you know at its peak these you know standard rare like this it's in one deck uh it can have tough a tough time holding much of a price tag mm-hmm. it, it's i mean it's cool that it has four toughness because the red spells have trouble with it um and the not being able to be blocked by small stuff is kind of like having trample but no it, standard rares at ten dollars isn't where you want to be if you got these at two when they first posted them then you're doing just fine because you have your play set and if you got a couple extra play sets, you might get a chance to unload them. In fact, you might as well go ahead and pre-sell them. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you get your when you get your pre-sales, you'll have time just <clears throat> you'll have time to resell them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um all right. Next up, Cosmic Horror from Legends. Just, you know, like 15 to 55, whatever. It's just another Legends card. Cool art. Cool, uh, cool looking card, but you know, I don't even think anyone can play this. Like, I mean, technically it's legal at 93, 94, but I don't think anyone's playing it. No, this, six minus seven, this seven is first just strike. The, this is just the target absolutely everything from those years process. That's yeah. ongoing. Um, but I wouldn't want to run into that thing in an alley. Yeah. <laughs> what else you got? Uh, so Animar was, was the big deal of the week over on the command zone. And uh, a big part of your MTG finance diet needs to be tracking what the big YouTube channels are doing for magic because when they mention something, if it's Saffron or command zone or the professor, um, it tends to take a bump. Um, this week they were talking about Animar because Animar, uh, because those guys are kind of shills <laughs> for wizards with a direct relationship. So <clears throat> M25 is out. So of course they're going to talk about uh, a com- relevant commander card from the new set. Um, in this case, it's Animar. Um, they went through a, a whole deck uh, tech for it. And the focus of that particular version of Animar, because there's a bunch of different ways to build it, um, was on using morphs because the whole deal is that morphs cost three, right? But Animar makes your creatures cheaper and cheaper the bigger he gets. And so once you've got, you've played a few uh, creatures into Animar, your morphs become totally free. Um, and then your deck goes off. So Quicksilver Dragon is a morph card from Onslaught. Foils started in around six bucks. Now they're closer to 30 because of that. Um, Ancestral Statue is a combo card for Animar out of Dragons of Tarkir that otherwise nobody had any interest in, but foils went from $2 to nine. Um, anytime I see Commander get really popular for a period of time, um, I want to check its lifetime popularity. Animar has been, you know, a steady like tier two commander for quite a while. Um, the reprint probably bumps them up and keeps them in the spotlight for another four to six months. So you're not in a huge rush to unload relevant cards, but the ones that that are only good in certain builds of the deck, like the morph-specific version, you probably sell into the hype, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you just sell into the hype basically no matter what. I mean, morphs are going to be good in Animar no matter what. You're also never going to build an Animar deck that doesn't want those. Uh, you know, that's that's exactly what he wants. Um I th- you know you also get the first foil of Animar too I believe right this is uh, the first time we're getting one of those or yes yeah that's true. only commander yes this is the first foil so that helps probably uh, a bit too but in general I think you're you're selling into the the, the hype here um, and but Animar has definitely been around the entire time like ever since he was printed commander he's been a relatively popular 
general. Uh, so I don't think, you know, he's more popular now than he has been at various other points, but I don't think he's ever going to fade into obscurity either. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I agree with all that. The um, He's the top top commander people are building for on EDH rack this week. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and all time, he ranks top 20. Yeah. So that's why I say tier two. Top five is still Atraxa, Marin, Brea, Aloro, and Nekosar. Hmm. It's funny. So those are all so new for the most part. I think there's a strong recency bias with Commander products. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Last card for the week. Skirk Fire Marshal from Onslaught. Foils from 2 and Change up to 15. Uh, goblins are in Dominaria. And this is people getting excited to add more goblins to their collection, I suppose. Uh, he's a pretty cool... Pretty cool guy. He allows you to tap all of your goblins, tap five goblins to do 10 damage to everything. Uh, all players, all creatures, etc. except himself. So um, amusing. I remember using this in an EDH game and people were like, had to read it twice. I'm like, wait, what's going on right now? Uh, but this is, he's not competitive. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not exactly clear what people are planning to do with this. Uh, well, we're get, we're getting a ton more ton of goblins in Dominaria. Yeah, so is it just for, like casual decks? Like that doesn't make any sense. And no, no, no. I think I think we're planning on decks. No, I think we're assuming there's going to be some mm-hmm. goblin legends in Dominaria, and then people are going to be building EDH decks. I suppose. Yeah, I mean that's. I guess it makes sense. I don't know. It seems a little bit of a stretch because that's like the only place you can use them, and we don't even know. And eh, I guess that's fine. All right, so let's move on to segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, James, as always, why don't you kick us off this week? whole bunch of cards that I've been harvesting into a little list for the Tipping Point series, talking about cards that are uh, heading into very low supply territory and are likely to pop. Um, give you guys a couple of samples. Um, one of the ones that I'm surprised hasn't made a huge movement yet is Hollow One Foils, which I actually called five or six episodes ago at $8 when they were first getting a little bit of hype. Now you can find them as low as $5, um, and that just can't be right because the Hollow One deck looks totally real um, and does has done busted things in multiple tournaments. Um, also doesn't look so busted that it is likely to be uh, banned or anything, but the deck looks strong and <clears throat> could easily post up as a Tier 2 deck in Modern. Um, maybe even tier 1.5. Those foils are just from last year and it's only a rare, but the inventory is relatively shallow um, even still. So I think getting in on these at $5 is a no brainer um, because even if it's not this version of the deck, these like graveyard recursion decks tend to have um, multiple iterations over long periods of time because every time they get a new play piece, um, you have to reconsider whether they're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that with Dredge many, many, many times. And this is a spin-off of the, of that style of deck that uses some of the same pieces. Um, so, you know, these foils being going from 5 to 15 doesn't seem like a stretch. That would be a 200% gain. And it's always played as a 4 of, so you always get to sell them as a playset. This is a, you know, when it first came out, it was a curious card. And we I wasn't sure if it was going to be able to make it. And it has clearly defined itself in the format. Certainly has a place. It's basically... I, either tier one or tier 1.5 now. And dredge is one of those, uh, one of those builds. that's just always there. Right. Um, you know, it kind of waxes and wanes as, as graveyard hate gets a little bit, but it's rarely just gone. And this is one of those strategies. Uh, also the type of deck that generally gets more tools as time goes on, you know, 
It got Prized Amalgam back in Shadows of Renistrad. It just got Hollow One. Uh, you know, it gets those types of cards here and there, uh, which just kind of keeps revising the build. Contrast that with something like Tron, which really very rarely gets new pieces. I mean, the Tron 60 card list of Tron today are, you know, probably a 94% match with the 60 card lists from six years ago. Uh, so Dredge, Dredge always gets, you know, new toys to play with here and there. So, uh, usually I would not be wild about $5 foils of a recent rare, but this is popular enough that even though it's not going to be gone next week, you're definitely going to see supply dwindle and dwindle, and then you really will be paying 15 bucks a copy for them. Yeah. And the thing is, this is played all the way back into legacy and vintage in, in dredge builds. Um, so it's not just the hollow one deck in modern and I, I remember flagging this early on and buying some really cheap Japanese foils. Cause I was just like, <laughs> it's not an impressive creature. But the text on it is is suspicious. <laughs> like <laughs> this is the kind of thing that pros will break. Um, so here we are. Uh, Five dollar four is no brainer. Supplies low. Go for it. Sure. Uh, all right. My first card this week is Cloudstone Curio. Um, unsurprisingly, a centerpiece of any just about any Animar deck. You can currently pick up Ravnica copies right around 10 bucks or very close to that, uh, depending on where you're looking. Your local store might have them for about that price as well. You'll probably be able to ride this guy right up to about $20, I think. Um, it's got pretty low supply. It's only been printed once uh, in a normal set. That was all the way back in Ravnica. It did get the inventions treatment, but all the $30 copies got bought up. So now it's around 60. So kind of missed that boat. Interestingly enough, the, in, uh, the inventions got bought up like a month ago. Uh, I don't know. Was that when Animar was spoiled? I'm not sure. Maybe people saw Animar in the M25 spoiler and decided to go after the inventions. Maybe it was just sort of, uh, happened to be at the same time. I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> Anyways, it's uh, quite popular in EDH as well. And I I don't know if this can be reprinted this year. Um, you know, it's not in any of the com- existing Commander decks, so it's not in the Commander Anthologies. I guess whatever Commander product they give us at the end of this year, it could show up. And, like, technically it could show up in Standard, but that's this is a tough card to put in the Standard I, and for I the most part, I would expect. I don't think it matters. I Honestly, I don't think the reprints have any impact whatsoever um on masterpiece versions for instance chalice of the void just got reprinted in m25 and it's been one of my hottest sellers this month in masterpiece form at top dollar well sure i mean it's certainly not going to impact the masterpieces i'm talking about pack non-foils though okay sure like just just normal card yeah so reprint would definitely suck there yes Uh, but i think your odds of a reprint are quite low on cloudstone curio they haven't bothered with it at all up till now uh, no real reason for them to pull the trigger this year, I guess. In general, probably not on the radar either. Uh, but in any case, you can pick up not Ravnica non-foils for about 10 bucks. There's not much of a supply. Animar just got really popular. It'll be popular for a while, and it's a cool card. Um, and I think you can hit $20 with this before uh, before before we see any reprints or anything. This thing on the board in the morph deck just lets you cycle morphs in and out of play infinitely, right? Yep. Yeah, that's gross. Um, yep. There's a bunch of different ways to win from there. The, uh, I mean, the thing about cards that kind of awkward artifacts with broad broad usage patterns um, in a bunch of different like niche decks, but many of which can find a reason to play it. Um, 
is that once they hit a certain price point, they're really hard to reprint in supplemental products, as we've seen time and again in things like Commander, where people feel like, you know, they need a doubling season. Doubling season's got a bunch of different ways to be used um, in popular decks and Commander, but you can't just slap it into a Commander 2018 without, you know, making that deck a chase deck like they did with True Name Nemesis um, a few years back. And they're trying to avoid that kind of situation these t- these days. So it's usually the master sets that you want to be watching out for. And we've, as far as we know, the next available slot would be November. So you're going to get at least a six-month run-through where there's an outsider chance that they could reprint Cloudstone Curio and something like the core set. But, you know, it's probably low on the priority list. So yeah. fair game. Yep. All right. What else you got for us? So masterpieces are not dead. And there are, are some that are incredibly um still solid buy-ins um one of the ones that's really like caught my attention as uh something that we were originally targeting this time last year at like 70 to 80 um that is now at 120 and still seems like a good buy is ether vial um the masterpiece ether vials are in relatively short supply but are um, readily available you know 10, 15, 20 copies or so in about 120 to 125, maybe $130 range. Your local shop might have them priced in and around that same range. And this thing's always played as a four of. It's a modern and legacy card. Um, the uh, Mox Opal has a relatively similar play pattern in modern, and those are going for 300. So it's not crazy to think that these hit at least 200 this year. Um, so if you were thinking about getting these for whatever reason, um, snap by. Yeah, the masterpieces have, are seeing a bit of a renaissance these days, the last you know couple of weeks. Um, you know, Mox Opal skyrocketed so much. So 120 for Aether Vial, which is such a powerful card in so many different places. Uh, I mean, it's tough to it, it's 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 a high buy-in, you know, for probably a lot of listeners, but it does seem like it would be hard to miss. Well, and if you can apply one of the 15 or 20% off coupons on eBay or even the 5% off coupons on TCG. Um, yeah, slam dunk, slam dunk. The, yeah, you see this thing all over the place, right? And they just saw a reprint in Iconic Masters, but again, I don't think that that matters much, um, in terms of the what is now considered the like pre premium, premium version of the of the card. Um, I, I would argue that people are probably more interested in this than original pack foils, and it's a lot easier to get a play set of them. Um, yeah, well, it was me, it was mirrored in block, so pack foils were garbage, like unusably bad. Sure. So, I mean, humans in modern, death and taxes in legacy, white red and white black Eldrazi in taxes in modern, merfolk in modern, um, all sorts of tribal um, uh, creature decks and uh, tax, death and taxes style decks, whether they're white red or black white um, or even mono white, um, end up running this card. Uh, if a white weenie type deck or a, a legends deck uh, emerges uh, in modern at some point, Heather Vial could easily slot in there as well. Seems very, very, very safe. Uh, these masterpieces have absolutely no chance of a reprint anytime soon and maybe never in the same form. And they just look great. I agree. They're uh, they're hard to miss. And I actually just bought a couple of a different masterpiece a couple minutes ago. So certainly uh, a lot of action in that space in general. Um, all right. So my other card this week is going to be Perforos, God of the Forge. I'm looking at the foil copies specifically. Uh, every time I see this card, I'm kind of surprised in general that it doesn't cost more money. And it makes me wonder if people just aren't playing with this or what. I don't think I've seen someone lose an EDH game where they resolve Perforos, whether as a 
in their 99 or as a commander. It's absurd. And you can get rid of it for sure. Uh, there's a lot of exile effects. But if it comes down and nobody has an exile effect in their hand, uh, you're probably all dead. Because this thing just slaughters people so fast. Uh, toss in a panharmonicon and it's basically lights out immediately. Um, it's in 14,000 decks. Uh, the, the foils specifically are just about $30, maybe a little bit over depending on where you're shopping. Um, but like, I don't, you know, this is one of the enchantment creatures. So you get that really cool border. Uh, and I really like foils of this at 30 something. I think you're good to find that, ride this up to the 50 to $60 range. Uh, one day you're just going to wake up and they're going to be gone. There's not that many left to begin with. Um, and it's just, it's just so powerful. And even if they reprint it, who knows what it's going to look like, right? And it won't be an original pack foil. Yeah, and I think you, you will get a reprint of these gods. It's an easy, like, throw-in set of mythics. It's some future master set. So, like, a modern-themed Modern Masters 2019 type of thing, even though they've said that they're not doing that anymore, I think they will. Um, uh, they, they might not name it Modern Masters 2019, they'll name it some other theme, but it'll have a bunch of modern cards, and it's easily possible that the gods show up. Um, but I think that you get like minimum six to 12 months on this probably, and maybe more. Um, and that pack foil will probably get plenty of time to appreciate given the overall profile. You know, you know what it, it results in an instant kill with the aforementioned Animar plus two morphs, right? And, uh, yes. And Klaus yeah. Curio, five card combo. Um, yeah, I think I bumped into this. I think I bumped into this when I was looking through Animar list and I'm like, oh yeah, this card is ludicrous in all the other places. And also it's crazy in Animar. Yeah. So that's a good one. I uh, could easily see some some motion given the focus on NMR lately. Um, the other masterpiece that caught my eye um, as being undervalued is Engineered Explosives. You can get these at $100, so 20 bucks cheaper than the other vials. And even if you conservatively think that these eventually hit 140 that's still, you know, 30 to 40% gain, depending on what you're, what fees you're facing. Um, it's in, it's never like a four of main deck in modern, but it's in tons of sideboards in modern. All sorts of decks run it as a one or a two of in the sideboard. And that can easily be enough to, to pull it into focus um, as something that people slowly drain out of the market. Um, makes sense that it's, it wasn't one of the first ones to pop, but um, I think it's right there in tier two and likely to, whether it takes you a month or six months, you're not going to be upset holding these at the end of the year. Yeah, uh, engineered explosives is is phenomenal. Of course, you see it all over the place. It's always effective, always useful. Still, another one of these cards in the masterpiece series that's uh, a little tough to buy in with because the price is kind of high, but almost guaranteed to keep moving. No matter how many times you reprint it, the masterpiece is going to be the masterpiece. Essentially, probably the, the uh, go to premium version for a while. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this and Aetherball. I think they're both good choices if you've got the capital laying around. Uh, okay, let's hit up segment three, our metagame we can review. Grand Prix Phoenix was last weekend, uh, taken down by humans, uh, and a very wild top eight here. Humans, John, Bad Nightfall, Matt Nass on KCI, Cart, Cart Clan Ironworks. We saw green taxes, and he was scape he, he was real close mm -hmm. to getting into the finals with that deck. It was like yeah. one dark confidant draw, like flip away. KCI is a wild card and I am, or yeah, a wild card and a wild deck. And I think that it's, uh, this could be one of the decks that what one day you just like, it 
wins a Grand Prix, right? And like suddenly it's all anyone's talking about for a day or two. It is very powerful. It's hard to play well, I think is a really big part of the reason why you haven't seen more of it, um, which might keep some people away. And maybe the pros don't really bother because they can put their skills to use elsewhere. But it is a it is a pretty powerful deck. There's a few things that caught my eye on that deck. First of all, the scrap trawler foils that I called last summer um, are part of why this deck is going through a renaissance. Um, it allows them to set up a, a very strong engine um, once they get that rolling because they get to cycle through a whole bunch of artifacts and get them back into play. Um, and Inventor's Fair that we were talking about not so long ago on this cast, uh, there's three copies in this deck, um, as there is in many other artifact-themed decks in the format, um, two copies of Buried Ruin, uh, and three copies of Etherhub, um, uh, which has had me looking at the foil Russian copies of that card. Yeah, that, yep, that definitely uh, there. It, this is Gallops worth the wild stuff. I mean, the Kraut Clan Ironworks is certainly the like most notable of them. Uh, the you know the eponymous card simply because it's never been reprinted before. It's absolutely required for the deck. Uh, it's how the whole engine works. Um, but this has also been targeted more than once, so that's certainly part of the barrier there. Uh, I don't know if you're going to find them real cheap these days. We've also got some real weird stuff like Icar Wellspring is in there. Uh, we haven't seen too much of that. So you've seen it. We've seen that reprinted before, but I don't think ever in foil, right? Uh, for Icar Wellspring. It hasn't shown up anywhere Well, to else. my earlier point, there's two, cop- there's two yeah, copies yeah. main of Engineered Explosives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is a weird deck. It's just got weird lists, uh, <laughs> uh, the way it behaves. Why? Gemstone Mine is legal in modern via Time Spiral, right? Uh, gemstone, I believe so. Yeah, they both. Yeah, they both are. Yeah, that's in so time shift. Why? Why is this Ether Hub instead of Gemstone Mine? Because it makes colorless, I guess, right? Uh, well, let's see. Gemstone Mine. Well, you can only tap Gemstone Mine three times. Yeah, and Ether Hub lets you. You only get color out of it once, but you can keep tapping yeah. it. I suppose. Yeah, because it keeps making colorless. So I mean, there's there's some the 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 F and M promos. I think they were for Ether Hub are gorgeous. Um, and there are foil Russian copies floating around on eBay. So if that's going to be a modern card occasionally, um, I would snap some of those up because they are stunning if people are going to find uses for them. The uh, the other deck that catches my eye here in the top five was the green-white uh, Death and Taxes build. So Flicker Wisp, Kitchen Finks, Leonine Arbiter, uh, Leonine Arbiter, um, Mirren Crusader, Noble Hierarch, Restoration Angel, Scavenging Ooze, Thalia, uh, and Voice of Resurgence with just four Path to Exile and four Aether Vial. Um, yet another Aether Vial deck in Modern. Um, and it's always interesting to me how many different ways you can build the 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 inter like aggro interference plan uh, in Modern and Legacy. Mm-hmm. Man, I would love for this green version to take off i've got so many razor verge thickets that i want to sell <laughs> um but yeah we've seen so taxes you've seen in mono white we've seen black white now we've got green white uh i would imagine there's been red white there or yeah yeah red white versions floating around i don't know if we've really seen a, a blue white version yet but yeah that that like thalia flicker wisp um Aether Vile engine does seem to be uh, much more powerful than I would have anticipated at first blush, I guess, years ago, but it has certainly stuck around. Yeah, the blue-white version tends to merge into the Spirits builds, right? Um, but they can run uh, Spell Queller, Reflector Mage, uh, Phantasmal Image, and and so forth. 
the there's a lot of ways to build this. The, the, I'll tell you the common element you see threaded through all of these in both formats is Thalia. So I think Thralia Garden mm-hmm. of Thraben Foils should be one of the targets from M25 um, once you see the the supply uh, dwindling. You know, it could be in a few months from now, early midsummer, 20% off sale. That'd be a good place to grab 12 foils or something if they're low. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's... What is she foil right now? She is... Let's take a quick look. Thalia Garden of Thraben. So they got the, oh, the WMCQs are so great too. The Masters 25 foils are... Looks like about $18, $20, which is a little rough. There's about 30 of them, but the set just came out, so there might be a little bit of time. What were the uh what were the original ones? They were like 30 or something, right? Yeah, sounds about right. Not found. What is this doing? TCG players giving me a hard time. I do think Thalia is a powerful card. My my concern is mostly that it might not drop enough from Masters 25 to like give you a really appealing buy-in before it just starts to bump up again. Original pack foils are sitting in around 40 um, and are unlikely, 40. unlikely to ever go anywhere given how prevalent it is in these styles of deck. Um, so, I mean, if you can get in at 20 and it's eventually going to hit 30, 10 below the original pack foils and maybe pack foils keep floating higher because the thing about these master sets is when they printed it rare, yeah, that's a lot of copies that enter the market, but it's not that many. And as soon as Dominaria chokes off people being interested in this set, um, which it did, which arguably it is doing earlier than it would have otherwise, because one of the ways that they tried to distract us <laughs> from Tree of Redemption um, was, you know, to leak a bunch of information about Dominaria if you have your tinfoil hat on. And therefore, people are talking more about Dominaria than they are about M25 already, which leads me to believe that the, the boxes are not going to be selling well Um from here on out um, and the set just came out last week so that all may mean that there are less of these foils that enter the market than otherwise would have been the case had that set been a huge home run mm-hmm. yep yeah that could certainly come to play uh you know another couple months down the road from now i would think that you know probably around 15 to 16 is where this gets extremely appealing um and you know below 20 is definitely worth keeping an eye out for in people's binders the other deck that made top eight here um that was pretty interesting was the new version of scape shift um that has a couple of notables uh two search for Azcanta. that card just seems to be a perennial two of and anything running blue it may also be one of the better homes for jace the mind sculptor it has two copies main deck and then very interesting it only runs two scape shift but runs four bring delight so that it can go get whatever piece it needs to to try to take control of the game, um, and bring delight foils is something I've had on in my like loose spec box um, for quite some time, uh, on the basis that tutors are great <laughs> and things things that can caught they can go uh, fetch and cast right. That's what it does. Um, multiple classes of cards are likely to get there given enough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, down in the uh, ninth through sixteenth, we actually saw uh, two blue red through the breaches. Um, that's uh, that's an interesting card that somehow still has not had a normal reprint yet. Just the invocation, the Champions of Kamigawa pack non foils are sixty dollars, uh, and the invocations are about eighty five. This is a card that 
I really don't understand why Wizards hasn't reprinted again. Um, and, you know, if this picks up another event, you're definitely going to see the price on these move even further. I mean, really? Could Through the Breach be a $100 card? Yes. Well, like, that's on the table. And I do see that this this deck, let's see, the one has two copies of Jace, and the other one has three. So, like, did Jace suddenly make this deck good? I It could be. I mean, this deck really wanted a brainstorm effect to be able to kind of, like, flip around and straighten out its hand and get rid of the two extra emeralds and go find a Through the Breach. I'll be pretty surprised if the next Master set, let's assume it's in November, um, does not have one of Through the Breach or, or Gorio's Vengeance. I mean... That doesn't really mean much because so much of what I thought was going to be an M25 wasn't even remotely there. So um, who knows how long they'll keep us hanging, given that they did give us a masterpiece through the breach, right? That was one of the uh, invocations. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be... A very ugly invocation. Sure. Yeah. Well, indecipherable from all of the others. Um, <laughs> but uh, humans actually won this tournament. And this this was relatively big. GP Phoenix was 13, 1,300 plus players. Um and Dire Fleet Daredevil, single copy in the main, single copy in the board. Um, a Dark Confidant in that build of humans. That's interesting. Uh, not something you've seen uh, in, in past builds very much. Um, and all, all told, just you know, top to bottom, top eight. Humans, Jun, Bant Nightfall, KCI, Green Taxes, Light, uh, Bring to Light Scape Shift, Mono Green Tron, and Red Green Eldrazi. That is a very healthy looking format, folks. Yeah, this is wild. This is so different, I guess, than what I would have anticipated in terms of a modern top eight at this point. Um, you know, what's interesting here is basically no uh, Bloodbraid Elf, right? Uh, looks like there were four in the Red Green Eldrazi deck, uh, but I don't think anyone else was playing it. Um, well, Jund, and you did see Jace. No, no, no. Jund was second. Oh, John Jund's the second. I'm sorry. I, I blind spot on that one. Yeah, so Jund and Red Green Eldrazi. So a little bit of, of Bloodbraid Elf. Uh, Jace was scattered all over the place, too. He was in Bat Nightfall. He was in the Blue Red Breach decks. Uh, let's see. Was he in the... Yeah, he was in the Scape Shift deck. Um, so those two cards have slotted into Modern pretty nicely, it seems. Uh, haven't Hasn't turned the format on its head yet, although time will tell. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, front and center with the rest of the skeptics about whether or not Bloodbraid and Jace were healthy for the format or whether they were Wizards rolling the dice. And I think the verdict's still out on whether they were rolling the dice. Um, But uh, whether or not they were gambling, um, you know, it turned up well. uh, Because the format seems to be absorbing those cards very smoothly um it's if anything even more diverse than it was a few months ago there's tons of stuff going on um brewing is alive and well the resurgence of decks like jund that have been around forever in the format um being you know tweaking and and becoming reascendant um is you know a great way for both you know, players who are hyper competitive and players who just want to do fun things to sit down and be able to leverage their um, intrinsic knowledge of their own deck to do as well as possible in a tournament. And I think that's a great place to be in the format. Yeah, it is. It's so cool. Modern is so great right now. You can show up with basically whatever you want and have fun. And you might have some difficulty, you know, beating the blood braids and the Jaces and things of that nature if you're not really prepared. But clearly this week shows us that, you know, if Matt Nass can show up with Cart Clan Ironworks and win, then, you know, uh, chip in a chair, as they say. Um. All right, so let's move on to uh, to segment four, our topic of the week, uh, Brawl. 
Magic Brawl. This is <laughs> a new format they've introduced. Yeah, so this is Commander, but only with standard legal cards. Uh, all the other rules are still in place. It's a 60-card deck instead of 99, and your Planeswalkers can be your Commanders. So mm. it's... It, it's also missing it's, the Commander damage rule, right? Uh, oh, is it? I didn't actually look at the like full technical rules, but I suppose that's possible. I think so. Okay. So only standard legal cards, 60-card deck, Planeswalkers can be Commanders, and probably missing the Commander damage rule. Uh, I, this does not sound interesting to me. Um, part of what makes EDH special is all of the cool interactions and the ability to play weird old cards that, you know, people forgot about. And there's such a depth and an array of synergies that you can take advantage of in traditional EDH. And now you move it to standard and it feels like it's just going to be like the coolest thing you can do is set up a play with like marionette master or whatever, that black one that you sacrifice artifacts to shoot people like, I don't know. It feels like it's just going to be a lot of people playing bad versions of like the bad combo decks that Saffron brews uh, or just attacking each other with generic beaters. So I, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm, uh, I, I am unimpressed. What is your take? It's a bunch of interesting things going on here. So first off, we've been talking for a while um, about how I thought they were going to start skewing magic product towards the EDH crowd um, even more heavily. Um, I was musing about uh, Commander Masters not so long ago. And in my mind, this is even smarter than that product in the sense that, you know, what was their main problem? Their main problem is that through mismanagement um, and economics, standard has been challenging to keep people engaged with. Um, I think we heard like rumors that Hour of Devastation from last summer was already out of print, which is early. <laughs> Hasn't even been a year. Mm. Um, which suggests that uh, that long tail demand for standard sets is not doing very well. Um, and so how do you ensure that they people buy a new product? You get these people these cranks on social media all the time talking about how they want the reserve list banned. Um, I mean, the reserve list removed so that everybody can play legacy and vintage and that'll solve the magic sales problem, but they don't get it at all. The, the major factor there is that those those formats have high power curves. You can't print into them at the kind of volume that you need to be able to print full sets to support them um, without dramatically changing the texture of the game. And um, so it's much more healthy for Wizards to focus on like near-term formats. They need to make rotating formats that only last, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be a year and a half or two years. It's unclear what the right number is. Maybe it's three years, who knows? Um but rotating formats near term need to be core to the game to make sure that those sets sell. And so the core, the, the primary purpose of Brawl is to provide you another reason to buy new cards um, and give you some, you know, overlap benefit and backup plan. If standard is, is, is not in a good place, then you can play Brawl. If Brawl is not in a good place, you can play standard. Um, cards that you're using in one may be useful in the other, which means that you don't you could you can play multiple formats um, depending on how the wind is blowing at your FNM without needing to have additional cards. All of these things are beneficial for players. Um, it's also uh, you know easily provable that you know magic um, players respond positively to being able to brew for something new um, as long as the format is good. So it remains to be seen whether Brawl is a good format. One of the concerns from the commander community is simply that the card pool isn't deep enough to be interesting to explore. Um, and how I think that 
ends up playing out is that the you're going to see that most magic sets are going to have uh, more and more from this point forward. And obviously, they've known about this for some time because Dominaria is already built to work with this set. So this is a decision that was made quite some time ago um, that they were going to do this. The standard legal sets are going to include a bunch of cards that skew towards EDH and Brawl. So, you know, seeing all these legends in Dominaria is no coincidence. And we're going to, I think we're going to continue to see more legends than we would have before and a bunch of casual focus cards or cards that fit into these kinds of formats. And it takes some of the pressure off printing new stables for modern all the time. They can kind of like kick back, let modern do its thing and print a few cards per set in to that format. They don't really have to worry about legacy vintage at all anymore. And I, and I think they, <laughs> this is a strong signal that, that the, theory craft we've been building up around what they need to do jives with what they're thinking internally um we're not seeing them try to reinvent the wheel on legacy and and you know create a legacy without the reserve list or something we're seeing them do the complete opposite which is you know focus on this new new near-term format yeah i really am just bewildered by people who think that repealing the reserve list is somehow a solution to any woes they believe wizards may have as if somehow having a bunch of people play legacy and never buy standard cards except for one every third set is uh going to keep them afloat brawl is certainly much more appropriately positioned to get people interested in cards that wizards actually wants to sell because it's wizards selling them and not just you know the the ninth person that's had their hands on this legacy card um you know it does uh it, it may have some interesting impacts if it is popular. Uh, it may spread demand around to some of the other cards in standard where you don't see it. So right now, standard sets tend to be very top heavy, I would say, in terms of demand. You've got one or two mythics that are really good in a set and one or two rares and then one or two uncommons uh, tends to be kind of where all of the interest and money sits in a standard set and then everything below that falls off really fast so this may help bring up the floor a little bit uh especially you know if they print like some new planeswalker that's you know let, let's say for instance that dominaria comes out and it is a very blue white focused set and a lot of the good cards in the set are blue and white but they print a planeswalker who's like red black and maybe that planeswalker isn't really great in standard but it's a cool uh, brawl commander uh so that props up this other mythic that's kind of out of step with the rest of the set and also makes the other black and red cards in the set that you no one would have really been that interested in otherwise a little bit better as well so possibly spreading some value around in a set which will kind of be good for for most players simply because it might chop off 10 percent of some of the higher level cards um so i guess this is an interesting way you know we saw the masterpieces suppress prices on standard cards because there was so much extra value in a box that was you know unaccounted for previously that it pushed the, the top prices down so maybe this will have a similar effect except instead of adding cards that weren't really factored into the msrp now we're adding demand that's not really factored into the msrp but all of that depends on this being popular uh, which is kind of the problem that, for instance, Tiny Leaders ran into. It just never really caught on. Um, well, so are people going to really be excited to build a bunch of these and play this at the store? I, I, I don't know. I think know. people are making a mistake comparing this to the Frontier and or Tiny Leaders. Um, Tiny Leaders was not Wizards-backed. They they responded to the trend in the sense that they had prepped some stuff, thinking it might go somewhere, in the same way that they started doing with Commander before they were printed Commander products. But 
they never officially supported it and tied it to product um, on this scale. And even Frontier, which was basically dreamed up by the big stores in Japan as a way to unload old product. Um, you know, first of all, Frontier in the places where Frontier took off, it's still going strong. <laughs> so people talk about it like it's dead. But the reality is that if it if it's dead in your town, it was probably always dead. If people started playing it, they almost certainly liked it and they're still playing. Um, so Frontier is utterly niche, but it is, you know, right where it was a year and a half ago. The, this is a different animal completely because this is Wizards coming out and saying, this is a format we are introducing. Here it is. Here's a bunch of like support for it. There's going to be, you know, promos and game days and whatever to try to push this thing and people are going to play. But from a financial perspective, the real question is, <clears throat> A, does it catch on? Like you said, B, I'm assuming that it does. Does it cannibalize from standard activity? So do FNM start running, you know, uh, draft and standard and brawl all side by side and the, and your average LGS goes from like eight to 16 players to 16 to 24 on a Friday night? Um, or do four guys show up looking to draft four guys show up with their brawl decks and four guys show up for standard and nobody gets to play? Um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a thing that can happen when you, when you self cannibalize your own format. And it and it results from a lack of confidence in standard management, right? Like that's really where this is coming from. They told a very nice story on the mothership about uh, about how um, one of the staff came up with this and played with it with offsite with his own play group, and then introduced it to his coworkers, and everybody loved it so much that now here we are. But there's they skipped out on the part where they had meetings where they talked about its impact on standard and impact on sales, and you know all got on board because it looked like it might solve those problems. Um, so we don't know for a fact that this makes standard cards better specs. Um, but one of the things I would definitely watch out for is if this format does even reasonably well, and there's a card that is both good in this format and, and also, um, good in EDH generally, um, in the broader format and it's good in modern and it's good in standard. And it looks like it might be a quad format card that sees demand right from the get go. Those are foils you could see pop very quickly. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, if this manages to check all of the boxes, yeah. that would be wild. But, you know, the, the the question is, is like, is this a format that will matter? I don't know. Uh, so, if, for instance, like if Mox, Mox Amber can just and easily slide down to 5 to $10 and sit in the background doing nothing for a while until somebody finds decks for it. But Mox Amber could also be a thing that ends up being a staple in EDH and a staple in, in Brawl and a staple in Standard and a staple in Modern. Um, if all the planets align at the same time, in which case those foils will go to the moon pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, this will certainly look pretty good in your, uh, you know, 60 card brawl deck because now you're always, you you know, most people are going to have a planeswalker as their general, right? Uh, So now you're going to have the legendary permanent always available to turn on your mox amber if you want it'll also be good in edh because you you know are always going to have a legendary creature there so the real question is whether it'll be good any good in standard which is where you'd really see it push standard or modern i guess um well it's yeah it'll be curious to see how how that impacts brawl really all of this depends on like how popular brawl is which we we can't we can't really guess at that i mean we guess but like we have no legs to stand it's a bit I don't know it's awkward or just interesting that they've gone ahead and said in this version of commander, which we control. And by the way, <laughs> don't don't miss the beat that this is them also taking like exerting control over commander as a format. 
because brawl is now brawl is to commander what standard is to modern yes so they are now feeding cards into edh through a format they completely control and control the rules for without input from the rules committee for edh which means Mm -hmm. they may at some point exert further control and just say okay now we're setting the rules for for commander um and why that matters is that uh, by making planeswalkers officially commanders, like it means that every planeswalker they're printing, they're going to consider that now. They've got to consider the brawl impact. So that's going to change the way they design planeswalkers because they're no longer just you know standard modern testing that's necessary. They have to test it for brawl, and that's definitely going to impact how how those planeswalkers are shaped. Um, because a card that you can recast over and over again for two plus mana as a built-in ability plays very differently than one that you can't. Do you think they're actually going to test cards for Brawl? Like Planeswalkers? I mean, can they afford an utter face plant for Brawl? Well, I mean, they could give the first, a little bit of attention to the first ones out the gate uh, and then kind of slow down if it gets established, you know, start spending a little less time caring about what these cards will do in brawl just because it seems i don't know it, it would be bad at first if a planeswalker was overpowered like the you know the first six months of the format but like the third or fourth time but the thing but it's not like that right mm-hmm. because as a format gets bigger and bigger um mistakes that you make get absorbed by the format because solutions become apparent that were inadvertent that were not part of the design process as modern gets bigger and bigger cards that can get turned on by shifts in the meta that's not true in a not in a in a rotating format because you're constantly dealing with a, a small card pool so and brawl uh, renews with a fresh pool just like standard does so you have to consider the planeswalker three years from now because you're still printing into a format that has none of the solutions you printed last year so yeah i, I would say it's got to be a, a core part of their testing if they are serious about keeping the format healthy and it's I mean, the only thing worse than an unhealthy standard is if you have an unhealthy standard and an unhealthy brawl and four guys show up for both formats and nobody can play because you don't have the eight necessary to go off. That's just a disaster. So th- there is some risk in introducing this. Um, and I sus- But I suspect that the brewing, it, it, it's all going to be about how good the format is um, is received after people have had a chance to test and write about it. If it's, re- if it's fun and it's diverse, then people will get on board and people will play it because this, what this does is it allows you to try, allows LGSs to try to recapture some of the commander crowd back in for FNM, right? Where, you know, uh, yeah. because now you can run, you can run, uh, a format where the playing field's a little e- more even for new players. And, you know, Brawl is like, commander light so you know timmy 14 year old kid who's just getting into brawl bought half a box of standard or whatever and threw something together doesn't have to face off against my like ten thousand dollar attracts a deck you know i'm, I'm going to be running nonsense just as nonsensical as him because i have access to the same tiny card pool mm-hmm yeah I, I, that's probably what this does best is it it's it's an on-ramp and maybe that's yeah. what wizards is envisioning this as is it's not intended to like replace commander or anything like that it's really just supposed to be this is how we're going to get players into uh into modern yeah it's it's actually 
I'm sorry, not into modern. Into it's EDH. actually not clear to me whether Brawl is intended to be a one-on-one format or multiplayer. Did you take note of that? Uh, in the article they wrote, it was a four-player game. Okay. So I, I guess it's... An, and I was wondering about that too when I first read it, but the, the one article I caught, it was four players all playing together. Uh, so there you go. The other thing here that we didn't talk about yet is, you know, one of the other factors that played into their decision to go after this is they want to launch, they know commander is a big part of the magic community. They want to launch commander in arena and you can't do it with the giant card pool. Cause they, it's, they don't have the development, um, uh, team on hand or the budget to add all the old magic sets. And so this lets them launch commander uh, inside arena with a small card pool. That's what this says. That's that's exactly what this is. Then uh, having an e- a rotating, easily accessible commander format in arena. I, I would actually imagine that's why they brought this on board. Somebody showed up uh, with this format at, at the wizard's office and was like, "My friends and I have been playing this," and most of them like, "We don't care." And then they're in an arena meeting and they're like, <coughs> uh, "Wait a minute, we can add." this to arena and it gives us like a rotating commander format like so a, a reason for people who aren't just standard grinders to come play and like there we go this is why we're well, and you know why this. it's really really big in that particular economic model is because the biggest concern with arena is how fast you can you can acquire uh via um grinding the mythics you need to put together a competitive deck in stand in their version of standard um because it's all about wild cards there's no dusting right so if you get a bad, bad mythic, you can't turn it into another mythic. You have to get a mythic wild card to then trade that for the mythic that you're missing. So you're, you're waiting on mm-hmm. wild cards to show up. But if you've got this format that's, that essentially is sits in between standard and um, draft on arena and lets you play singletons, you don't need four ofs because you can't play four ofs. You can only play singles. Well, it's a lot easier to get singleton decks in this economic model than it is to get four of decks. So it's a really yep. nice sweet spot for sitting atop the way that they want the economics to work there. So there you go. That is my my, revi- my revised opinion. Brawl has nothing to do with paper magic. It's only there because it kind of needs to be. And the real reason they're doing this is because they want to put it into arena and they want to have another way to pull people into arena other than just people who want to draft. I, I think it's all of the above. <clears throat> like it, it does factor into play paper magic. It has a pretty strong impact on like the FNM scene at LGSs. Um, and it plays into the economics of magic, I think, over the last five years or so, shifting away from competitive in general. Um, I think that they're coming around to the idea that they're not necessarily, they're probably not going to make it as an esport, not on the level that they want to. And the, 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 the future of magic is more fun than it is competitive. And if you embrace that, then this is a, a natural direction to head, especially given arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to, they have to appeal to the people that play magic for fun, not the people that are trying to earn a living. Because even though that shows up on Twitch, uh, it's not the reason most people are p- buying magic cards. And it's also they're just they can't keep up with Fortnite and PUBG and League of Legends and Counter Strike. It's just not going to happen. It's not exciting enough. If, so. if you're running a marketing planning and product planning meeting at Wizards, and someone is trying to advance the idea that competitive magic drives sales, all you have to do is show on screen the number of subscribers to casual magic channels on YouTube versus the peak 
viewership ever for magic competitive magic on Twitch. And the picture becomes clear very quickly. A, why Wizards is supporting all sorts of streamer events and so forth um, and reaching out to uh, uh, shows like the Command Zone to directly support them as like an arm of their marketing apparatus. Um, Because those guys have a few hundred thousand subscribers and a good magic weekend is, you know, five to 10,000 viewers in an era where you know, Ninja playing with Drake is 600,000 plus at 2 a.m. Yeah. And even on a Wednesday afternoon, Trout is getting 40,000 playing PUBG. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how people respond to Brawl. I am not holding my breath that it will be wildly popular. Um, but Wizards is certainly going to try to probably get people to catch on. And I expect them to use it as a selling point for Arena. Other than that, all we can kind of do is wait and see how people take to it. Uh, because that's going to be, of course, the really the only indicator of whether this will have an impact on card prices as we know it. And there's not really a way for us to gauge that. So we will be learning along with the rest of you. Fair enough. All right. That's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday over MTG Price on the Watchtower series, and I show up on the webcast, Cartel Aristocrats. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 111. Uh, hopefully, by the time we record next week, it won't be 32 degrees out. Uh, other than that, it was good chatting with you, James, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.